Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Breaking the Power of Death. Hosea 13, verse 14. The Bible says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death, O death. I will be thy plagues, O grave. I will be thy destruction. So he paid our ransom. We were taken, kidnapped, weren't we, for a ransom. Well might all heaven be astonished at the reception that their loved commander received in the world. He made the world, yet the world knew him not. Friends denied him, forsook him, betrayed him. He was assailed by temptation and test. Human agony convulsed his divine soul. He was lacerated with cruel scourgings. His hands were pierced with nails. His holy temples were crowned with thorns. It was the work of Satan's machinations that made the life of Christ one dark series of afflictions and sadness, and at last he compassed Christ's death. In the act of dying, Christ was destroying him who had the power of death. He carried out the plan, finished the work, which from Adam's fall he had covenanted to undertake. Yes, before the foundation of the world, he was the lamb slain. He had covenanted at that time. He had covenanted to undertake. By dying for the guilt of a sinful world, he reinstated fallen man on condition of obedience to God's commandments. That's our condition in the position from which he had fallen in consequence of disobedience. Adam and Eve fell while they were on probation. So we get another chance, another probation of obeying God's commandments and trusting in him, having faith in him. When he broke the fetters of the tomb and rose triumphant from the dead, he answered the question in Job 14.14, 14, if a man die, shall he live again? Christ made it possible that every child of Adam might, through a life of obedience, overcome sin and rise also from the grave to his heritage of immortality purchased by the blood of Christ. Yes, immortality is a gift of God that we get when we trust in Jesus. It's not something everybody has. How would God have something to give us if we already had it? It's a gift of God. And whosoever believeth on him might have eternal life. Our salvation was wrought out by infinite suffering to the Son of God. His divine bosom received the anguish, the agony, the pain that the sinfulness of Adam brought upon the whole race. The heel of Christ was indeed bruised when his humanity suffered, and grief heavier than that which ever oppressed the beings he had created weighed down his soul as he was engaged in paying the vast debt which man owed to God. The question, and that answers our question of the other day, huh? Who paid who and who owed who? <laughs> it was the debt that we owed God that Jesus paid. He paid to his Father. The question, if a man die... Shall he live again? Has been answered. God in human form has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
In dying, Christ secured eternal life for all who believe in him. So you know the worst part about power of death? Is it's a finality. You have no more opportunity to accept Jesus or repent. That's why the death penalty is is um, such a penalty because people know they're, they're gone. They no longer have a chance to be saved. Or when someone takes somebody else's life, they've decided for them when it's over. Um, for those who have received Jesus and we have fulfilled the conditions, where are those conditions? Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on him who him, whom, on the Son of God whom, whom, he, whom he has sent. Oh, so the condition, yeah. If we fulfill that condition, death has no fear for us. We don't mind. Three different times in my life, I almost died going through different circumstances and awoke fish, fish mouth breathing. But I was so at peace. I did not want to come back. I felt like this is it. I'm going. I feel so good. I'm so ready. Thank you, Lord. And um, I think it's a moment of peace the Lord gives us before we die. Of course, he decided it wasn't time for me, apparently. Um, Jesus experienced so much rejection in his life, starting with his own family when he was young. He had to be different than them, and he felt it. And sorrow, yet he did not fail, did he? He was faithful all the way through all the suffering and sorrow. He bore it so bravely. But imagine the pain caused by Peter's public rejection. Jesus was the bait in the most complex rat trap in history. Getting the victory over, over Satan and his fallen angels and sin. No one else could have done it but God. And no other temptation would have gotten him to reveal himself and as much as Jesus having the opportunity to take the life of Christ he couldn't resist it when he died he was fully exposed to God's omniverse he can no longer claim that he has everyone's best interest at heart and that his ways are better and that God's laws should be gotten rid of as we can see what happened in in the world without law the laws of love are what runs makes God's universe safe and secure for everyone and happy. See him taunting Jesus on the cross in the garden. I want to read that part to you in Desire of Ages, page 686 and 87, a couple paragraphs. As Christ felt his unity with the Father broken up, he feared that in his human nature he would be unable to endure the coming conflict with the powers of darkness. In the wilderness of temptation, the destiny of the human race had been at stake. Christ was then conqueror. Now the tempter had come for the last fearful struggle. For this, he had been preparing during the three years of Christ's ministry. Everything was at stake with him. If he failed here, his hope of mastery was lost. The kingdoms of the world would finally become Christ's. He himself would be overthrown and cast out. But if Christ could be overcome, the earth would become Satan's kingdom and the human race would be forever in his power. With the issues of the conflict before him, Christ's soul was filled with dread of separation from God. Satan told him that if he became the surety for a sinful world, 
the separation would be eternal. Hear him saying it to him. If you become if you become a surety for a sinful world, your separation will be eternal. You will be identified with my kingdom and never more be one with God your Father. That's what Satan told him. What was to be gained by this sacrifice? Satan said to him. How hopeless appeared the guilt and ingratitude of men. In its hardest features, Satan pressed the situation upon the Redeemer. The people who claim to be above all others in temporal and spiritual advantages have rejected you. They're seeking to destroy you. The foundation, the center and seal of the promises made to them as a peculiar people, you, one of your own disciples who has listened to your instructions, has been among the foremost in church activities, will betray you. One of your most zealous followers will deny you. All will forsake you. Christ's whole being abhorred the thought that those whom he had undertaken to save, those whom he loved so much, should unite in the plots of Satan. This pierced his soul. The conflict was terrible. This measure was the guilt of his nation, of his accusers and betrayers, the guilt of a world lying in wickedness. The sins of men weighed heavily upon Christ, and the sense of God's wrath against sin was crushing out his life. Behold him contemplating the price to be paid for the human soul. In his agony he clings to the cold ground as if to present, prevent himself from being drawn further from God. The chilling dew of night falls upon his prostrate form, but he heeds it not. From his pale lips comes a bitter cry, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet even now he adds, Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The human heart longs for sympathy and suffering, and I'm tempted to keep on reading this chapter. I'll leave it for you. It's in the Desire of Ages. It's titled Gethsemane, that chapter. It's very good and helps us to understand somewhat the sorrows that Christ bore. But this paragraph here, in our reading today, our salvation was wrought out by infinite suffering to the Son of God. His divine bosom received the anguish, the agony, the pain that the sinfulness of Adam brought upon us. The heel of Christ was indeed bruised when his humanity suffered, and grief heavier than that which ever oppressed the beings he created weighed down his soul as he was engaged in paying the vast debt which man owed to God. And when Christ was at his resurrection, he declared over the rent tomb, I am the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah, the victory was had, complete victory. We may be in peace when our loved ones who trust in Jesus go to their rest. And we don't have to be afraid of death. There's a promise that I found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-4. to For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Yeah, wanting to be glorified, have our glorified body, don't we? If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. 
you know, Paul says something towards the end of this chapter, I think, that goes together with that. You know how he goes into explaining things, and at the end he kind of hides it all together. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, so he's our, our new tabernacle, isn't he? We're in Christ. We're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Our old nature is passed away, and we're clothed upon with Christ. Behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, and so forth. Indeed. For he hath made, okay, so here is the old tabernacle and the new. He hath made him, or Jesus, to be sin for us, and the sin is the old tabernacle, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, and that's our new I think you can read it through yourself and see what you think. That's kind of a tough chapter. I've struggled with it a lot in my life. I'm not saying I understand it exactly now, but um, I think it all ties together. Usually Paul is like a lawyer when he presents his ideas. And, uh, I said that I would read um, in my little list here of how to be like Jesus one every day. Desire of Ages, page 73. Jesus carried into his labor cheerfulness intact. He held communion with heaven in song, which banished the evil angels. So if you want to banish the evil angels, hold communion with heaven in song. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you have given us the answers and you've given us the means by which we can be clothed upon with your righteousness and be accepted of God for your sake. Dear Lord, I pray for those who are here with me today. I just don't know what trials they have ahead of them today, but I do know that you will be by their side if they will look to you and ask you. And me too, Lord, I need you. I can't manage myself very well. I pray you would guard my tongue. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining me today. I'll see you in the morning.